Hello, and welcome to the Logistics Management Podcast Series. My name's Jeff Berman. I'm Group News Editor for Logistics Management Magazine, as well as the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group. Today, it's a real pleasure to welcome John Monroe to our podcast. John serves as President and Founder of John Monroe Consulting. Uh, a little bit about John. John has held senior management positions with top forwarding and logistics companies, Emory Worldwide, Circle International, as well as Hyundai Merchant Marine. John developed the strategy for Hyundai's import program from Asia to North America, and he was responsible for the ocean product at both Emory and Circle. Since he started John Monroe Consulting in 1998, John has gained wide industry acceptance as a leader in providing solutions for marketing strategies, IT applications, operating systems, and business direction. John has an MBA from Monterey Institute of International Studies, as well as a BA in International Studies from the University of California at Los Angeles. John, welcome to our podcast. Well, Jeff, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a real it's a real pleasure to have you on. Um, you know, so, John, why don't we just uh, before we get going into like the real nitty gritty of what we're here to talk about today, mainly the uh, the ocean cargo market. Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your your operation at John Monroe Consulting, just in terms of, you know, who your customer, who your clients are, what your key service offering offerings are, things along those lines. Sure, Jeff. Um John Monroe Consulting is is probably not the right um, right title for it today. Okay, um, I've done a lot of gigs with the likes of General Motors, Pioneer Electronics, Frito Lay, PepsiCo. But what I do today is I represent a number of companies. Um, uh, most recently, I was representing Worldwide Logistics, a large China-based company, and uh, a few years ago it was purchased by Alibaba. And I was tapped to set up and run the Alibaba-backed shipping line Transfar. So as you can imagine, that was a um, that was a pretty interesting gig in the middle of the pandemic. Certainly, it, it's it's since shut down because rates have gone through the floor. Uh, today, I, I represent uh, a company in Vietnam, a company in China, but I also um, I also operate a tech platform, an order management. Uh, SaaS base, which means it's in the cloud. And I just, this year, my second implementation was a Fortune 25 company, and they have about 200 users that that basically uh, use that globally. So uh, I do a little bit of everything. I've been fortunate to be on all sides of an ocean, ocean container transaction, whether it be terminal, shipping line, um, BCO, NBO, or tech platform. Okay, terrific. Terrific. Um, so, John, why don't we sort of start with everyone's, uh, I'll put this in quotes, favorite question. And uh, just because there's been a, a bit of uh, a question of if, if there is a peak season this year, uh, how are you sort of viewing whatever shape the 2023 peak season may be taking? I mean, in other words, is there one or do you view it as something that which is far more muted? Well, I don't view this as a peak season. I, I view it more as a really, really small speed bump. Um, and it's and it's running a bit late. Uh, numbers are up a bit in October. But if, if you look at what has happened throughout the course of the year, uh, it's pretty much in line with 2019. Uh, and when you think about it, 2019 was four years ago. And we've never had a situation to where over four years we, we haven't grown. Now, of course, we we had what I call a surge, a constant surge 
um, during uh, COVID. Mm. Uh, but that was a you know that was an anomaly. So so we're back to 2019, four years later. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, how about uh, we shift gears for a moment here, John? Just talk about inflation. You know, while it is showing some signs of uh, cooling off somewhat, how much, in your opinion, uh, of an, has it of an impact has that made on both import levels as well as freight flows? Well, I, I think it is yet to have the impact it's about to have in the first quarter of 2024. Um, I talked to a BCO client this morning. And their business is is through the floor now. What he does is he provides uh, materials to the construction industry, and everything stopped. Uh, most all of the construction has just uh, hit a wall because people can't carry those bridge loans at seven eight percent. Mm -hmm. I mean, down to six, it's 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 not going to float it for many of these large projects. So what we're seeing is we're seeing the construction industry dry up, and that's um, a lot of the large commercial construction, but I, that's also starting to hit the housing market. Yeah, no, no question about it. Um, how about things on the inventory front, John? You know, inventory levels uh, obviously are, remain elevated to be sure, although there are some indications or at least signs of, of a destocking. Um, how do you think if, if that if that is, in fact, really playing out in a meaningful way, how's the sort of current inventory outlook uh, impacting ocean cargo volumes at the moment? Well, the the inventory destocking is happening, I think, slower than anybody expected it to happen. So every and and keep in mind the importers, whether they be retailers or customers of the retailers that are delivering uh, to them, it's it's they're very cautious right now. So you've got this combination of a very, very um, muted and cautious ordering season uh as as well as still having inventory i i think right now the the orders that are coming out i, I was talking to somebody and I, I i represent a company in vietnam and everybody talks about decoupling and going to vietnam but right now there's factories shutting down in vietnam as there are in china so you know what what that says is the orders that everybody expected are not coming in uh to the extent that they expected okay uh, you, you sort of put that with what's happened this year in terms of we're back to 2019. And everybody's been living off this growth curve. This, as, as I put it to people, many of us have rode the back of the dragon to prosperity. Yeah. And, and that's pretty much flattened out. Yeah. No, it's, it's hard not to see it any other way at this point. Um, shifting gears over to pricing, John. How do you sort of view the current state of ocean contact ocean contract rates and pricing? Do you see do you see any do you see uh, rates sticking more now than they were before, or are we still kind of in a bit more fluid situation? No, they've been sticking for a day, and and then <laughs> then they get mitigated back to <laughs> where they were, and that's that's what happened with the November first year, and and I think it's really hard for the carriers to. Uh, to initiate a GRI that in, in a market to where they brought on more capacity. And I don't think we've had this much capacity ever come on in such a short period of time. So the carriers are, are back to their old style of, of management, which is seeking market share. Uh, they yeah. need to keep those vessels moving. At the same time, you know, they've got a dilemma going into 2024. If they don't get 
if they don't get rates up, if they don't get the spot rates up, then the contract rates are not going to go up. And you only have a few months to do that. Now, carriers are really tight right now. They've been tightening the space in Asia. So it's getting tougher and tougher to get on, on a vessel unless mm -hmm. you're in advance, even if you've got contracts. So, you know, as, as we look at going into 2024, you know, we don't have a lot of time. As soon as we hit um, January, we're going into the Lunar New Year. If we don't see containers back up for the Chinese New Year, which we didn't see it for this last holiday, um, then the carriers are going to be in trouble for their negotiations in March, April, May. Okay, so what would if you were to put odds on this? Do, do you think there's a a, a better chance this uh, in 24 than compared to 23 that things will be uh, more active prior to Lunar New Year, or do you think it's going to be a repeat of last year? I I think it's going to be you know I I think it's going to be a little bit similar, but you know there there is the chance that everything falls off. Um, okay. I, I think the carriers right now. Are, are scrambling. I mean, you've seen the numbers. You know, they're estimating that in the coming year they could lose as much as ten billion dollars. Yeah, uh, that's on the back of beating all the estimates that everybody had for the Fang Group. So, so what we're seeing as we go into twenty twenty four, and and nobody's got a crystal ball for this. It, 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 you know, when I think about this, I think, okay, it's really not that big a deal. Just don't offer lower rates. Rates at the same level as 2019 are actually, you know, adjusted for inflation, everything else below 2019. And so if we look at it that way, the cost that the carriers are going to bear in 2024 is going to be a lot higher than what they, they, they had in 2019. Right. So, so, so it's really going to be a struggle. And I think it's right now it's anybody's game, but okay. rates are definitely too low. You, you can't continue rates at the level that they are today. Understood. Now that said, does that present an environment or a situation where maybe you see shippers uh, leverage volume for favored status? Well, let's take it from the carrier point of view. Do sure. they want volume? Yes. But do they want more volume at the low rates? It really depends upon how the rates uh, turn out. If If carriers can hold the spot rates up, then I then I'll think they'll look at more volume. If they can't, are they going to want to take more volume at those lower rates? I, I think they won't do it. I think they'll limit the volume. You know, from from the BCO side, you know, they would want to lock in volume at the low rates. Um, but as the rates move up, they might want to they might want to take the spot rate float. And, okay. and a lot of carriers this year did like 50-50. Sure. Sort of sort of to hedge themselves. Yeah, because everybody knew that the spot market would be out there. Sure. So a lot of companies didn't sign for the volumes that they could have signed. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, and um, going back to uh, earlier in the year, uh, obviously here in the States, a new labor deal was struck between the ILWU and the Pacific Maritime Association. Um, do you know, and prior to that, we obviously saw a, a bit of a cargo diversion to East and Gulf coast ports from West coast ports. Um, now that the deal has uh, been reached uh, a few months back, do you, has there been a return of that cargo back to the West Coast? Uh, I'm sorry, the West Coast, or is it more slowly slow to develop, just given sort of the uh, reduced environment we're in, uh, import and tonnage wise? 
Well, I, I think there's no doubt it's coming back, but then the question is why? Uh, I, I think what's happening now is you've got the ILA um, basically replacing the ILWU in terms of scaring the shippers as to what they're going to face on East yeah. Coast. Um, you also have the issues with the Panama Canal where it's it's worse than ever before. Uh, you, you've got the drought that is continuing. Um, they, they've just announced that they're reducing the number of vessels and partially um, uh, initiating an auction. So it's it's, it's really tough right now on the East Coast ports. Uh, I think it's, but then again, you have a shift that you have shift as businesses go to Southeast Asia and India uh, to the extent that it moves that direction, it lends itself more to East Coast ports as to West Coast ports. Okay. So right now I think everything's up in the air. I, I, I think it's still, it hasn't settled. Okay. But, you know, you also have to factor in the growth of e-commerce. Um, e-commerce will always lend itself to West Coast ports because it's about the speed. Mm -hmm. and, and you've got a huge number of, of e-commerce warehouses that have been set up. When I was running Transfar, which was a part of Alibaba, I ended up touring a lot of the warehouses on the West Coast that Alibaba delivers to. And I was shocked at the number of startup warehouses that three to six later are full to the ceiling mm -hmm. with um, e-commerce goods and fully automated. So you're you're seeing this massive buildup of e-commerce capability between China and the US. Okay. That's really interesting. Um I mean just real quick, John, back to the Panama Canal, obviously to reducing the number of re reservations uh per day. Um, you see them go down from like, I think it was something like 36 in August. Now, now they're down to like mid twenties. Um, and I think they're going to go further down. I think I read, I think, uh, it was down to 18, uh, maybe next month or the month after that obviously limits, uh, operational throughput tonnage, et cetera. Um, how should us based shippers, uh, that are importing, uh, importing into the U S that is, uh, be viewing, uh, what's going on at the canal. Um, obviously, it's probably not a great idea to put all their chickens in that one Panama Canal basket, I'm assuming. Is that is that fair? Yeah, well, I, I think I commented on LinkedIn on a post somebody had that this could mean the return of mini land bridge services. So, okay. which are basically services that discharge on the West Coast and rail to the East Coast. I mean, it's too soon to tell. Mm -hmm. If this is a prolonged drought, there might be no choice. Sure. A combination of Miniland Bridge and all water via the Suez Canal. But the impact uh, of the Panama Canal is is more on the tanker side than it is on the container side. Okay. I'm not saying container vessels won't be impacted. They will, but not to the extent that the bulk tankers and, and, and those vessels are impacted. Sure. They're, they're starting to reroute their services because it's getting too expensive. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt about that. Um uh, forgot. Um, we of course we need to hit on service, John. So, how do you view sort of the current state of a uh, ocean service in terms of carriers being able to deliver on what they're promising? Are shippers getting what they need in terms of service? I mean, it's obviously different across different modes, but what's sort of the flavor, the current state of affairs as, as it relates to ocean, in your opinion? So, so I'm not certain what service you're talking about, but there's the service. That the carriers give is is definitely been on the uh, on the decline over the last few years. Um, 
you know, now at least they answer their phones. But if, if you want to get uh, a container on a ship, it's still tough. Um, you know, they've, they've initiated all the blank sailings. Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things I, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things I don't think people realize is we could have a repeat of what happened in 2020. So, for example, you know, when in, in early 2020, I, my family and I were on the second to last uh, Delta flight um, coming from uh, China to Seattle. Mm -hmm. And at that particular time, all of my clients were trying to figure out what were going to the factories, what was going on when they were going to open. So I started tracking the bookings in China that were coming to the U.S. And unless I was doing that, I wouldn't have noticed the fact that in May of 2020, the carriers had locked down their blank sailings to the point that they were backing everything up. And of course, a part of that was to get better contract rates. Um, but it backed up so much that at the end of May, beginning of June, they not only released all the blank sailings, but they added 18 extra loaders. And, and, and at that time, the average size vessel was 9,500 TUs. So that was about 170,000 TUs in one month that, that left China and, and came to the US. The importance of that, which should not be lost, is that that's what sucked up all the containers. And the reason, the single most important reason, nobody could get a container on a ship. And that drove prices up. When those vessels arrived in LA Long Beach, because this was basically a West Coast uh, phenomenon at the time, yeah, it sucked up all the chassis. Now, my point to this is what happened under COVID wasn't simply COVID. It was the asset imbalance that was created by the way the carriers manage their vessels. Fast forward to today, the same thing is happening. You know, they're, they're now going to really tightly control those. So we don't know what's going to happen as we go into early 20, um, 2024. But theoretically, anyway, there could be a similar situation that happens in 2024. Okay, interesting. So um, just a couple more quick ones, John, before we wrap. Um I, I remember when I saw you speak at SMC3 um, at their Jumpstart event in Atlanta a few years back. It may have even been right before the pandemic hit, just a couple months before COVID was being discussed, you know, in sort of vague terms because it, it hadn't hit the U.S. yet. Um, but you, you had some pretty interesting comments about U.S.-China relations um, and sort of the fraying nature of them. And that got me thinking about tariffs. It got me thinking about China plus one, um, how uh, how how they how they handled COVID vis-a-vis -vis how we handled COVID. There's a lot there. I, I, and I apologize for that. But how, how do you view sort of the current state of affairs in terms of the relationship between the U.S. and China? And how could how do you see things? potentially evolving from here obviously too we're heading into an election year which will murky the waters as well sure um well jeff for me it's personal i i have family in china we have a home there so so we track this very closely um sure. uh you know what we're seeing is it's not just china plus one it's china plus 10 i mean there is no single country that can take over from china so <clears throat> excuse me every Every um, BCO I talk to uh, and, and some of my clients 
you know, to replace China or to decouple or to, to uh, decentralize or diversify or whatever you want to call it, they're having to go to multiple countries. So, you know, you're looking at Vietnam, place of Southeast Asia, India, Mexico, even Central and South America. So, so the, the first thing that's happening is people are trying to replace, not necessarily all of China, but at least a part of it. They don't want all their eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. What happened under COVID it has, has caused the, the C-suite to push down and say, hey, no more. You know, we, we need to have a backup plan. So if we're manufacturing whatever we're manufacturing in China, we might want a factory somewhere else that can back up that manufacturing. So, so that's the first thing. The second thing is, obviously, there's a lot of tension between China and the U.S. Right. Part of tariffs, uh, a part of it is the Ukraine war. And, and now that's spreading to what's happening with Israel and Hamas. I, I try to stay out of the politics, but, you know, it's becoming very geopolitical. So, you know, everybody's looking at, you know, where do I need to be that I don't have to get in front of the geopolitical changes uh, that are taking place? And, you know, the, the one thing that I'm hoping, um, you know, as as you know, as everybody knows, she is in town this week. I mean, in the U.S. Yes. And hoping that they walk away with a very positive sign um, to um, de-escalate the tensions that have been built up between China and the U.S. I I'm hoping that we end up with some kind of um, detente or whatever you want to call it to, to where we can agree to disagree, but we will continue on trade. Now, China's got a few issues of their own that are it's that's created a very very different environment. Their real estate, uh, you know, about fifty five percent of their GDP is dependent upon the combination of real estate and exports. Mm -hmm. So, China needs us as much as we need China. Their real estate market has imploded. Um, you know, all of the debt for real estate, you know, you don't see in China's. Uh, accounting numbers because it's all borne by the local provinces and cities. And, you know, there's so much debt there that it's, it's, it's could bring China down if they don't manage it properly. What that means is real estate's no longer going to be a factor in, in, in pushing that economy forward. And you can't really count on exports the way, the way it is now, uh, because the export, um, everybody's trying to decouple. Everybody's afraid of what's going on in China. So, you know, I'm just hopeful or hoping that this week that good things come out of uh, this meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you would you would mentioned um, you you had mentioned labor and uh, over in China, John, and and that got me thinking a bit about you know when we hear periodically and in the pandemic brought out a lot of this, but you know you hear a lot about from time to time. Uh, nearshoring, friendshoring, uh, reshoring, whatever you, you want to call it. Um, you know, do you, do you think that there's ever any real potential for that uh, here in North America? Or do you think we remain in the it's just talk phase of it all? No, I, I think it's already gone beyond talk phase. You're, you're already seeing. Well, let, let's put it another way. If, if if you've got a factory that really is more automated, and I think that's where we're going, automation, um, yeah. then it doesn't matter. You, you, you can bring it back to the U.S. And I, I, I think that's what's going to drive it. Um, 
if you still rely upon a lot of local labor, you're going to go to Vietnam or India or Malaysia or Mexico. But one thing that I think we should realize is that we're not really leaving China when we go to Vietnam. The Chinese have invested uh, billions of dollars in factories in Vietnam. Um, China is leaving China and basically building factories in almost every country that we would leave China to source from. Right. So have we really left China if we're ordering from Chinese factories in other countries? Yeah, no, great, great point. Um, I really, John, this brings us to the end of uh, our allotted time for today's podcast. So uh, on behalf of Logistics Management Magazine, as well as the Peerless Media Supply Chain Group, like I'd like to offer up a big thanks for, uh, to you for spending some time with us today. Well, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, and no, my, my pleasure. And uh, for those of you on LinkedIn, uh, go ahead and uh, you can uh, find John there. He's uh, he's got a good profile and, and, and uh, is uh, has a lot to say. Uh, you know, on, on on certain posts and threads that are going on there that you may find interesting. Um, and uh, also, uh, if you are on LinkedIn, please go ahead and look for us at Logistics Management, and we are also on Twitter, and that's simply at Logistics MG. MT. And uh, for those of you not following our podcast, just go ahead and search for Supply Chain 24-7, wherever you get your podcast, and we should pop right up. Please go ahead and uh, give us a follow. So uh, thanks, everybody. Catch you next time, and uh, we'll see you then. Have a good one. Thanks.